0: We're in a series called I Believe in Science, and I hope you've learned something helpful in this series. I've learned more than I planned on learning in preparation for it. In fact, this past week I was reading about a subatomic particle called a quark. Q U A R K. Anybody ever heard of that? It's fascinating. It's the smallest known particle in the universe, and in fact, the protons and neutrons in every atom are made up of quarks. You're made up of quarks. (laughs) They are quite literally the building blocks of the universe. Okay, and scientists found that the quark is really, the only way they can describe its behavior is that it acts like a sound wave. Think about that. The building block of the universe, the stuff that all matter is made up of, acts like a sound wave. And I can't help but think back to the book of Genesis when it says that God spoke the world into being God said, let there be light. And there was light. Listen, y'all, God's speaker prints are all over this universe. Creation declares the glory of God. Even the most minute particles in the universe reflect the power of its creator because the worlds were formed by his word. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith you understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. John the Apostle said it like this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him. Nothing was made that was made. Hebrews 1.3, one, 1, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, holding all things by the word of his power. Revelation 19 says he was clothed with the vesture gift of blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So that's a quark. It behaves like a sound wave. It's a reflection of its creator who spoke the universe into being. And this series, I'll be honest, has challenged me. Okay. it stretched my brain, and it's also strengthened my faith. Week one, we talked about astrophysics. I even talked about an astronomer, a colleague of Stephen Hawking, Dr. Hugh Ross, who became a Christian based on his work in astrophysics. Week two and three, we talked about evolution. We talked about science and what's not science. And we talked about last week the incredibly racist, basis of evolution and of Charles Darwin. Science doesn't support it, the fossil record doesn't support it. And last week we talked about God's response to evolution. It's a message of hope and restoration. I encourage you to listen to it. But the bottom line of this series is you don't have to choose between God and science. That is a lie of this world. Today in our final week I want to look at the Bible. People love to come after the Bible, don't they? Have you ever heard somebody say, "I don't believe in the Bible; it's full of contradictions"? Anybody? Okay. Next time somebody says that to you, say, "Okay, show me one." Nobody. I've asked people that. Nobody's ever shown me one contradiction they could find in the Bible. Well, because people like to say it, but just because a dog can chase a car, don't mean it knows how to drive. <laughs> this morning, I want to give you five reasons why we can trust that the Bible is true. And some of this might sound a little teaching, but we'll put some in there if that's all right. Number one, the Bible is historically accurate. I know that culture paints the Bible as a book of fairy tales and fables, but the Bible is not just morally correct. It's not just theologically correct. theologically correct. The Bible is true history. The Bible has been proven historically accurate many times over. And when scholars... In the universities, examine ancient texts. One of the questions they ask is, is this hearsay, or was this an eyewitness account? Are the events recorded by witnesses, or were they written down centuries later? The higher the percentage of eyewitness accounts, the more reliable it tends to be. And interestingly, not just some of the Bible, but most of the Bible is made up of eyewitness accounts. Think about it. Moses was there when they crossed the Red Sea. Joshua was there when the walls of Jericho came down. Daniel was there in the lion's den. I witnessed accounts. The disciples were there in the upper room when Jesus appeared to them after the resurrection. Listen to what Peter said about it. He said, we did not follow cunningly devised fables. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? People say it now. They said it back then. We do not follow cunning devised fables when we make known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eye witnesses of his Majesty. Peter wanted to make it clear we were not telling fairy tales; we were telling you what we saw with our own two eyes. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. No, some have died. Paul makes a bold statement to the citizens of Corinth. He says to them, Jesus was raised from the dead and he was seen by more than 500 people. And if you don't believe me, go ask them because they're still around. The other test for ancient texts is the accuracy of transmission. How confident can we be that the Bible we have today was accurately recorded and passed down from generation to generation? That's a very important question. Let me tell you a little bit about Hebrew scribes who wrote the Old Testament. Hebrew scribes had incredibly strict guidelines for copying the Scriptures. The scribes were meticulously trained and often spent years, not days, not weeks, not months, years of their life copying a single document. They weren't allowed to copy scrolls word by word. (laughs) They had to copy the Scriptures letter by letter letter. Scribes were so exact that they knew the middle letter of each book of the Bible. And then when they, when they finished writing it, they would count the letters forwards and backwards, and if it wasn't right, they would destroy it and start all over again. Isn't that something? They were incredibly accurate. And uh, how many of you have ever taken a test to them a study God and all the answers were in the back. You can flip in the back and check your work. Okay. That's what the Dead Sea Scrolls were for the Old Testament. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, they went back and checked them against current scriptures and found that the Old Testament was unbelievably accurate. There was a university study done comparing ancient manuscripts, and the New Testament was included with the classical writings that they were examining. And in this study, they looked at two factors the number of existing manuscripts, in other words, the number of copies of the original document. The time gap between the original and the oldest surviving copy. In the course of their study, they made an interesting discovery about the Bible because they found that it was above and beyond by far the most reliable ancient text. I've got a, I've got a slide for you this morning. If you guys could throw that up there, welcome, to welcome, to, welcome, to class, everybody. Well behaved. If you brought them, I hope you brought enough to share with everybody. <laughs> But here we go. These are the texts they examined, okay? The Gaelic Wars, by Julius Caesar, written between 144 B.C. The oldest copy they found was written in the 800s A.D. That means there was 950 years between the time it was written and the oldest copy they could find. And out of all the copies they found, there were 251 that they could study. You look at all of these things, minor works of Tacitus, Okay, they only have one copy, and it's 900 years later than when the original was written. If you go all the way down to the Bible, some of you may not be able to see it, but down here at the very bottom is the New Testament, written between 400 and 100 A.D. The oldest copy they found was from 125 A.D., a gap of only 25 years, and there were 5,795 copies. Isn't that incredible? It's interesting to me that nobody questions the works of Tacitus, the Roman historian, when they only have one copy 900 years after the facts, and everybody comes after the Bible. Isn't that something? Not only does the New Testament have the overwhelming majority of manuscripts, it also has the smallest time kind of gap of any ancient text, which makes it Academically, scholastically, the most reliable of any ancient texts they studied. And by the way, when you include manuscripts written in languages other than Greek, such as Latin and Coptic, that number jumps from 5,000, 5,800 to over 23,000. Another criteria for me is honesty. Because ancient times history... Was more propaganda than facts. Okay? They would go, they knew, they would engrave history in soul, so what they would do is they would edit it out and they would give you their best version. They would give you the first date version. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> when you go on a first date with somebody, it's not the real them, it's their best representation of who they are. Come on. But it's the first eight version of history. They give their best representation of what they want all the other peoples of the world, the other nations to see their history as. But the Bible is so, so different. (laughs) The Bible is the exact opposite. It doesn't try to make any of the patriarchs or the kings of Israel into heroes. If you read the Old Testament, you know that's a fact. The Bible records the good, the bad, the ugly, the real ugly, every detail. Think about it. Noah got drunk. Jacob lied. Moses murdered. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair. Peter denied Jesus three times. Paul tried to destroy Christianity. By the way, God used them. You think he can use you too? The Bible doesn't sugarcoat history. Sometimes I wish it did. There's some pretty messed up stuff some of the folks did in the Old Testament. But the Bible records the good, the bad, and the ugly, and to me, that says it's trustworthy. Think about Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible says he went insane and grazed like a cow for a period of years. And when you look at Babylonian history, they have nothing for those same ten of years. They edited history the Bible did not. Another proof is in archaeology. Archaeology has proven repeatedly that the places mentioned in the Bible were in fact real places and more are being discovered all the time. In fact, they just found an insignia from Pontius Pilate proving that he was who he was, that he lived when the Bible says he lived, and he resided where the Bible says he resided. Let me tell you about a guy named William Ramsey. Ramsey was a brilliant archaeologist and a graduate of Oxford University, but Ramsey, like many in universities today, was a skeptic. He didn't believe the Bible. In fact, he made it his mission in life to conduct archaeology digs in the Holy Land and prove the Bible was wrong. That was his mission. That was his one goal, and the Atheist League in England had put their hopes in Ramsey to prove the Bible was wrong, but after a number of years, Ramsey returned to England a Christian and a defender of the Bible. Sir William Mitchell Ramsey. Y'all got his, uh, his selfie up there? There you go. Scottish archaeologist, graduate of Oxford, skeptical of the Bible, led an expedition to Palestine and Asia Minor in 1881. And by 1896, he was writing books on proving the Bible. is true. <laughs> he said that the words of the Bible are able to stand the keenest scrutiny and the hardest treatment. And when he got back, the atheist said, great Scottman, man, what are you doing? I put Scottish on my red card. You know, Scottish. you lost your What convinced Ramsey? Archaeology, because the Word of God is accurate. Just like astronomy convinced Hugh Ross, and DNA convinced Francis Carle Collins, archaeology convinced Mitchell Ramsey. Our faith is a reasonable faith. Come on, tell somebody. Our faith is a reasonable faith. Come on, tell somebody. It's a reasonable man. Some of y'all did that. I like that. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts and the Gospel of Luke, was both a physician and a historian. In the book of Acts alone, he mentions 54 cities, 39 nations, and 9 different islands. And for years, skeptics claimed that some of them were completely made up, but now all of them have been found and confirmed by archaeology. The amazing thing about the Bible is that historically, it's often ahead of archaeological findings. Genesis 11 talks about the birthplace of Abraham. It was a city called Ur of the Chaldees. Somebody say Ur. that a funny name for a city. Where you from, Ur? For centuries, scholars claimed that not only did the city never exist, but the Chaldees never existed. It was one of their main arguments that the Bible was inaccurate, full of errors, not true. The most brilliant minds of the modern age said Ur of the Chaldees was a fairy tale because there was absolutely no evidence in the archaeological record for it. That is until somebody found Ur of the Chaldees in the 1920s in southern Iraq. And this is a picture of the uh, ziggurat in the main center of the city. They missed that, y'all. For, thousand, for about 4,000 years they missed that and there it was right outside of Talil Air Base in Iraq. In fact, if you look really close, you can see some U.S. air on top of that thing. Now it's considered one of the oldest man-made structures on Earth. Ur was the oldest Sumerian city in the Fertile Crescent. It's considered by some to be the birthplace of civilization. Scholars said it didn't exist. The Bible disagreed. I can go on and on and on. Have you heard of a civilization called the Hittites? Yeah, the people said for decades the Hittites never existed. The Bible said it did. Look it up. They have found cities and cities of the Hittites, they have found enormous statues and city gates. Bible is right. Look at up, research. I dare you to research it. The Bible says about people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. I don't believe in ignorant Christians. Amen. We ought to all be learning and studying and researching all this stuff. Amen. Number one, the Bible is historically accurate. Two, it's scientifically scientifically accurate. Now, the Bible never claims to be a science book, nor does it use scientific language. But the science of the Bible is sound. Johann Kepler. Johannes Kepler was one of the leaders of the scientific revolution. He developed the laws of planetary motion. He's the guy who discovered that the moon controls the tides. He was one of the most brilliant scientists to ever live, and he said this, science is thinking God's fault. Kepler understood that science is God's idea. He said, it's not a choice of do you believe in God, or do you believe in science? No, I believe in science because I believe in the God who created science. Amen. But here's the problem with science. our understanding of science. It's constantly changing. When I was a kid, there were nine planets. Apparently, we lost one along the way. Science changes, but God's Word never changes. Nothing's more worthless than an out of date science book. Because I guarantee you that the third grade science book that you use in third grade ain't being used in third grade. No more. <laughs> our understanding of science is constantly changing, even medical science. I brought this up a few weeks ago, but did you know that doctors used to prescribe cigarettes to people with asthma? (laughs) I went to a doctor a couple years ago. He said, look, you don't have high blood pressure, but you're right there on the border. You don't technically have high blood pressure, but you're close. You're on the border. I went back a month later, exact same blood pressure reading. He said, you have high blood pressure. I said, hold on, doc. I got the same ring last time, and I thought you said I was on the border. He said, you were, but they moved the border since you were here. Constantly changing. In the ancient world, there were many theories about what held up the earth. The Greeks believed that Atlas held the world on his shoulders. In India, they believed that the earth was held up by giant elephants. And what did the elephants stand on? A giant sea turtle who was standing on a giant serpent. The Egyptians believed the earth was held up by five pillars, and Moses would have been very familiar with this concept. Moses was trained and educated in all the ways of the Egyptians. He was a member of the royal household of Pharaoh. He would have been taught about the five pillars in school, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Job 26, 7, he says, God stretches the northern sky over empty space, and he hangs the earth on nothing. Science changes all the time, but the truth of the Bible never changes. For centuries, it was believed that there were 1,000 stars in the sky. In 150 BC, an astronomer named Hipparchus he charted the heavens and concluded that there were 1,022 stars in the sky. 300 years later, Ptolemy claimed that Hipparchus was wrong. Science had advanced. And he, a man of modern science, concluded there were 1,026 stars in the sky. He yeah, found. Science has continued to advance. Galileo numbered stars in the thousands. Modern science has numbered stars in the octillions. And the modern consensus that stars are infinite and cannot be numbered. But 2,600 years ago, even before Ptolemy and Hipparchus, the Bible said in Jeremiah 33 22, that the stars cannot be numbered. Another major claim of the Bible that tells us the origin of the universe the Bible tells us that time, space, and matter had a singular beginning. This was week one, in case you missed it, okay? And, and I've got a current timeline developed by NASA. This is their model to explain the timeline of the creation of the universe, okay? According to the current model, the universe has a singular beginning. There was an explosion of light that gave birth to the universe, and this is a model developed in the 1920s and 30s by a Christian man. This is the exact opposite of what secular scientists have been teaching for decades, they thought that the universe was eternal. This is part of the catch of evolution. People were looking for reasons not to believe in God because if you, if you can, in your mind, reason that God doesn't exist, you don't, you're not accountable to anybody. You can live your life however you want to. A long, long time, modern science said the universe is eternal. The universe is eternal. The universe is eternal. In fact, Albert Einstein, uh, he did an equation. He said, wait a minute, this seems to hint that the universe had a beginning. So he he, he did what he called his greatest mistake. He placed the numbers a little bit. He made this X variable that represented some unknown factor that made it all work out to where the universe was eternal. He said, I was wrong. Modern science says he was wrong. The universe did, in fact, is proven and accepted universally, have a singular beginning. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you look back at the very beginning of this model, you see quantum fluctuations. They say quantum fluctuations. We don't understand what or how. That happened, but quantum fluctuations Set this whole thing in motion That created the universe and I, I, I need to call and ask and let them know Because I, I know that there were three quantum fluctuations That created the universe The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost <laughs> The Bible is not only scientifically accurate It's consistently ahead of science I am gonna go ahead and get through these real quick Number three, the Bible is prophetically accurate Okay, there are three types of prophets there are false prophets, there are true prophets, and there are non-prophets. Most of us are non-prophets. But there are true prophets and there are false prophets. And biblically, here's how you tell them apart. If what they say is accurate and comes to pass, they're a true prophet. If what they say doesn't come to pass, they're a false prophet. But if they never prophesy, they're a non-prophet. By the way, don't believe a psychic if they ask you what your name is. If the Bible's true, then, its prophecies would have to come true, right? All right? Thousands of prophecies have happened exactly like the Bible said they would. There are 300 prophecies about Jesus alone, and some of them were recorded a 1,000 years before His birth. All of them were fulfilled in the birth, life, death, death, and resurrection of Jesus down to the fact of when and where He would be born. You can't make that up. You're born where you're born. (laughs) A thousand years. Think about this. A thousand years before the Romans invented crucifixion, David described the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. Only God can do that. Here's another example. Even though the Bible was complete by 95 A.D. with the book of Revelation, it predicted an event that happened in 1948. The forming of the state of Israel. May 14, 1948, the year the U.S. Air Force was born. There were so many prophecies about modern Israel. Let me just list a few of them. Other nations will bring the Jewish people back to Israel. Isaiah 14. Ships from the isles will be the first to bring the people of Israel back. Isaiah 60, verse 9. It was ships from the British Isles that brought the Jewish people back to Israel. Isaiah 66, 8. The nation of Israel will be reborn in a single day. We saw that happen. The people of Israel will occupy the lands promised to them. Ezekiel 4, verse 3. Israel's army will prevail despite being strongly outnumbered. Leviticus 26, 7, and 8. Israel will be led by a group of leaders, not a monarchy. Micah. Like verse five. Jerusalem will be divided. Zechariah fourteen, verses one through three. The Hebrew language would be revived in Israel. Book of Jeremiah. Hebrew is the only language known to man to evolve extinct and to be fully revived as a native language. The shekel will be revived as the currency of Israel. Ezekiel forty-five, one and two, fulfilled in nineteen eighty. And the restoration of Israel would happen in nineteen forty-eight. Isn't that amazing? Got to be God. Here's another one that makes the skeptics lose their minds. The prophecy of the four kingdoms in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel prophesied that the Persians would overthrow Babylon and that the Greeks would overthrow the Persians and the Romans would overthrow the Greeks and eventually Rome would be divided into kingdom ten kingdoms. This happened exactly as Daniel Prophesied. In fact, it was so accurate that people said there is no way that Daniel wrote that that absolutely had to have been added in the Bible after the fact. There ain't no way a prophecy could that accurately predict world affairs in that order. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1948, it proves that Daniel wrote what he wrote. It's historically accurate, scientifically accurate, prophetically accurate, and the Bible is one cohesive story. You say, what's the big deal about that? Because the Bible was written over the span of 1,600 years by 40 different authors of three different continents and in three different languages. And yet, the books of the Bible fit together perfectly to tell the story of God's love for us in His plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. It's one cohesive story. The Quran was written, written by Muhammad. The teachings of Confucius were written by Confucius. The Book of Mormon was written by Joseph Smith. By the way, if you want to know what LDS stands for, stands for your leader, not a Of Cause he did. He was a dirty, dirty man, and he is not a spiritual leader of any kind spirit. For the Bible to be written by so many people across so many borders and cultures and languages and times, to fit together in one story is nothing short of a miracle. Bishop and tax collectors, shepherds, scholars, businessmen, kings and princes, physicians, slaves, people from all different backgrounds, living in different times and cultures from different levels of education. Yet all of the books of the Bible come together to tell one beautiful story of redemption. It's amazing. The Bible is the Word of God, nothing else makes sense. The Bible's historically accurate. The Bible's scientifically accurate. The Bible's prophetically accurate. The Bible is one cohesive story. And this is my last point. I want to ask the worship team to come. The Bible has the power to transform lives. You want proof that the Word of God is true? Look around this room because we are living examples that the Word of God has the power to change and transform us. And the Bible says in Romans three twenty three that all of sin are short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark, but here's the good news: Romans six twenty three. Though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible is one big story. What story is it? The story of God's love for you and His plan of salvation for you. Jesus paid the price for your sins for you to be set free. And the incredible thing about God is salvation is not something that we earn, that we purchase, that we deserve. Salvation is a free gift to all who receive it. The Bible says in Acts 16.31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a perfect past. None of us do. But I think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul sought to destroy Christianity. Paul murdered entire families for professing faith in Jesus. When people looked at Paul, they saw a murderer who deserved to die. But God saw a man who would one day leave thousands to faith in Christ. God never judges your future based on your past. If you're here today and you want to follow Jesus, you want freedom, forgiveness, a new beginning, I want to lead you to a simple prayer. Will you close your eyes for just a moment and pray with me? Here's a simple prayer to you. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. And with your help, I'll live for you. I'll follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Will you stand as we have a moment of prayer and worship this morning?